Welcome. Welcome. 372 pages. We'll never get back. I am Michael J. Nelson, joined by Connor Listoka. This is, of course, the book club where we read through books that we are probably not going to like. And we're on a new one. We're so excited. We also watch movies that we're almost certain not to like. Uh, and I don't want to spoil that, but that's uh, coming up in a little bit. Connor, uh, how how you doing? Post the post Willow universe we're yeah, living in. We are now, yeah, we're now firmly ensconced in the Willowverse. And what better way to uh, what better way to uh, prepare for the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, than to than to thoroughly immerse yourself in a in a third tier fantasy world to uh, be able to discuss around the table with all the relatives and. Uh, loved ones who I'm sure will also have just as much to contribute to their to the discussion of the Willowverse. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, that's not going to happen, obviously. <laughs> but I am surprised that there are people holding the torch of of Willow Willowness, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, just a, a, an announcement that all the departments are in place for this episode. So you know, we have dumb sentences, we have uh, listener mail. Uh, what else do we have? We have, oh, we have fanfic. fanfic. We have real or fanfic. I put out the call for fanfic last night, and people more than more than stepped up. So we had a, an abundance to choose from. Fantastic. Uh, so let's get into it. In order to understand this book, written by is it Chris Claremont? Chris or? Claremont and and some George guy. Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have to go back to the beginning and the source material, which is the 1995 film Willow. Which Connor and I both just watched, so we're going to kick it off. 1988, right? I think the book is 95. Sorry, yes, that's right. You're 100% right. Um, Yeah, Willow. So let's dive in. (laughs) Well, yeah, you watched it over the weekend, and I just, um, on a peaceful Sunday evening, I started getting emails from you uh, full of rage, demanding that I uh, reimburse you for the... Uh, 3.99 you had spent to rent it on demand. So I, <laughs> I was Which sitting there, you know, with my... I was amused to see that you did. As though I, had, wow, I, I got to start my collection agency back up again and get money from people because it worked. But yeah, I, I, I had watched it uh, like a week before. It was something that uh, I guess you know, Lauren's family they had uh, you know a Betamax copy of Willow that they used to watch. It was that in Spaceballs in her family, so she was sort of revisiting this uh, this nostalgic thing. She posted a Instagram story that we were watching it without any context about what we were watching it. So she went to work the next day, and her coworkers started asking her like, "Oh, you were watching Willow?" And I was like, "Did you tell them why?" She's like, "Well, we didn't really get into it." I'm like, "You need to." You know, <laughs> it's like posting that you were like at a cockfight and then they're like, you were at a cockfight last night? It's like, well, sure. You know, but I didn't tell them we were there to like a undercover sting at this cockfighting operation. Yeah, I'm writing uh, for, you know, for Sports Illustrated and expose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like when I used to, uh, I think in the early days of Rift Tracks, we would just get the discs and we would go to a, you know, like a, a video store, get the DVDs and put a big stack of garbage up there and the person <laughs> i always felt the need to stammer my way through uh i i'm uh it's a thing i'm doing i'm kind of making fun of these and it was always like uh sir you know i don't i don't have any uh you you watch what you want like, no no seriously you <laughs> right. must believe me i'm not buying these things uh but yeah so i i watched willow i wanted to also send a letter along to uh i think i got it through my my uh, xfinity cable like look <laughs> right. I, I have to watch this right I, 
there's no incognito mode for uh, on-demand viewing, so your recommendations are eternally screwed. Yes, you know, strike this data collection from your note, if I, from your you know record of me, please. Um, but uh, man, the reason that I remembered nothing about Willow from my first viewing of it in glorious 70 millimeter is because it is a very forgettable <laughs> sword and sorcery movie with very poor action set pieces. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit confusing. It's not shot in a way that is very uh, appealing to me. That's that's my general take on it. Your thoughts? My general take. I was watching it, and my general take was this is way better than Crawl, which was like, you know, probably came out two years before it and sort of set a baseline for eighties eighties fantasy. And you know, we did Crawl as a live show at Rift Tracks like two years ago, probably. And I just remember watching it being like, this is pretty cheap. Like, you know, they, they got to the end and there was like that that final monster, but it was always like way off in the distance, you know, not really shot for too long. And so Willow had a bunch of, you know, green screened effects of monsters that were, you know, not convincing. You could tell that they were, you know, not inhabiting the same plane as our heroes. But in, in my mind, at least, I don't know, it was it, I thought it was better. It was more likable um, than than Krull. So, you know, do with that information what you will. Well, I, I compared it to something um, even older than that, and I would say unfavorably, Jack the Giant Killer. Oh, wow. And the effects in that, which we had done for Rift Tracks a number of years ago, I don't think that the effects improved very much at all. No, all the, the things the, sort of had that halo around them. All The, the brownies were terrible. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to them in a minute, but I mean, just in, from effects-wise, yeah, they always had that tearing along the edges of their green screen crap. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, and then the the claymation creature at the end was I mean that was pretty much like the Cyclops and Jack the Giant. Guy. Yeah, really. Yeah, All, he just was missing someone seizing a bone, which uh, we'll get to that in the first five pages of uh, Shadow Moon. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, the other thing that stood out, you know, mainly was obviously they wanted kids to like this movie, but they had so many essentially like uh, you know Gilligan Island cutaway gags, or just essentially like. You know, I am not going in there. I am not going in there. You know, boing, cut to him walking through the cave in terror. So that was, you know, that was the first, you know, half of the movie essentially was that, uh, that, uh, I don't know. It wouldn't be uncharitable to say hideous guy who's like the Willow's adversary in the community, like had about a dozen of those gags. Uh, oh, the guy rocking the, uh, he wasn't even doing the comb over. He had like the, he had the straggly hair. Fully and bald. bald with the fringe yeah. and the, yeah. Yeah. Oof. Uh, let's talk about uh, Warwick Davis's acting because uh, <laughs> I want to tread carefully. Okay. But, uh, no, I don't want to tread carefully. He sucks. <laughs> wow. Um you know, I, I I don't don't bear him any ill will. He was on I no, neither do I. He was on a Ricky Gervais show that was really funny that never really got any attention. Where he essentially played the uh, the David Brent role, the the Larry David sort of uh, heightened version of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think he was that bad in Willow. He he, you know, he became Willow like. Um, all right, well, people can direct all their Willow hate uh, to me then, because I, <laughs> I was much more sour on this film than uh, than evidently than you were. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought then also just the elements that were so obviously, obviously just a pastiche of Lord of the Rings. Oh man, and to the point where, come on, I. I you know, this is this is thievery, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, the reluctant uh, um, Hobbit type of person who is you know forced to leave their pastoral home to um, 
you know, go on a quest unwillingly. And then the, uh, the, the Mad Mardigan, um, character who is, you know, since George Lucas was involved, it was impossible not to look at Han Solo and just be like, oh, so that, that exact thing. Like he even falls in love with a princess at some point in time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all very, very derivative. Um, but, uh, I also just found the, the plot, like the evil person, mm-hmm. you could not have that, you know, that was just like a rubber stamp. Uh, evil witch lady right. who cackles and orders people around. <laughs> right. Has no real goal other than just being evil in general. And I also, I developed uh, pretty early on my impression of every one of the bad guys who are always, you know, cloaked enough where you can't really see faces or masks and are just, you know, in black and are large. And they all, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, you know, rutabaga sassafras, a lot of them oh, yeah. going, oh, rah, rah. <laughs> But they all had the exact voice, like, they're, they're over there. Get them. Oh, <laughs> yes, I see them. Move that way. Uh, and it never changed. There was not a guy who was like, you know, it would be ever so nice if you all dashed off that way and got those chaps. It was uh, just that one voice through the whole thing. <laughs> uh, my favorite line of the movie was was towards the end, I believe, when they were, they were Willow was going to um, give them his master plan to, like, I think, uh, trick, trick them into thinking they were gone, which relied on his knowledge of gophers. And I think um, Mad Mardigan Val Kilmer said something along the lines of, Willow, this is battle, not agriculture. That was my, uh, that was my favorite explicitly <laughs> laid out line to, uh, to the eight-year-olds in the audience, I guess. That's the, the, that movie's equivalent of, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, <laughs> not an elevator. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, the one thing that I, I think we can both agree on is that we were not left uh, with a story ended thinking like, I need to know more about what happened to these characters or this kingdom. That was not on my mind at all. <laughs> I was already furiously typing you for that $4. Yeah. So there was nothing about wanting more of this. <laughs> well, that is probably why it took them seven years to produce the uh, the novelization of, I guess, the intended sequel in the form of uh, Shadow Moon by George Lucas and Chris Claremont. Yeah. And and by the way, uh, props to us. I almost screwed up a lot of times and called the movie uh, Thorn uh, Ulfgood or whatever. The, oh, what I mean, this? yeah, they're interchangeable. Thorn Drumheller, sorry. Right. Thor- <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we will get to that. One of the more curious decisions we've ever encountered in this uh, in the history of this podcast, full of curious decisions. Let's dive in yeah. to Shadow Moon. <laughs> well, it starts with a prologue. Um, you know, as I think as fantasy books tend to want to do, there's usually some sort of backstory they need to tack on to. But this is just the story. We start off, you know, about a year after Willow has ended and he's uh, he's it sort of just picks up, you know, as a as a sequel might. Yeah. And uh, what do you what do you think of the opening sentence? <laughs> I don't think much of it, frankly. In the middle of the night, Willow of good rode the back of a dragon. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, it promises. It promises a dragon, which we have not seen in the movie, but uh, it also promises that dragon, and then puts it off for uh, for uh, several pages before we actually get to him. Um, in the, in- I mean, talk about fanfic, though. How many sentences like that are there spread across the web on <laughs> fanfic forums or on you know just uh, 
amateur uh, fantasy writer forums right. I would say that uh, some version of that is uh, has been done 800 trillion times <laughs> and uh yeah so the the it starts with a bang but when, when I really knew we were in for <laughs> That's it, a good oh, there again yep <laughs> by I really knew we were in for it by the I think the third sentence was uh spring had come late this year the weather changeable as a courtesan's costume and that was sort of where I was just like oh dear <laughs> The Ren, the Ren Fair is in full display here. <laughs> yes. Uh, we later get a, uh, uh, he woke with a start, but uh, so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> right. But that's, uh, I think we've had that in nearly every book. So. Right. Um, we, we get some, uh, some fun, some fun unexpected things that, that compared to other books in the, uh, in the podcast oeuvre at, uh, at some point in time, we will, we'll touch on those later. But if you were a fan of the, uh, the mom and armada, uh, you might be a, a fan of a, a little bit of physicality revealed about our hero later on. Um, but it, it starts off he, with him, uh, plowing his fields behind a pig. Is um, that another uh, double no, entendre? It's not. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but we we get uh, we, you know we're, we're on the second page and our hero is already uh, dreaming of strangling a pig um, and then ch- cu- cutting him up and eating uh, glazed pork and bacon. And Willow has the ability to to communicate with animals, which I don't think he had in the book. In the book, he just sort of had some light uh, light wizardry uh, by the end of it. In the movie, in the book, in the movie, yes. Uh, but yeah. now now he's a full on sorcerer, I guess. Yeah, he has what is there's like a, uh, a a modernized word that he calls it. What is it? It's like a uh, you know, it's like he's doing a Silicon Valley startup. It's oh called yeah, the something site. Yes, but it's a combined word with a camel caps. Yes, in it, he. So. <laughs> let, let me find out where he introduces that because it, he he can see in the dark um, thanks to his mage sight. That's it, mage sight. Which is yes, it's camel cased um, and. Uh, it says uh, w- one of the first side effects of his wizardry was a heightened sensitivity of his physical being. He could outhear a cat, outscent a hunting hound, and his sight had no peer. Mage sight, he called it, allowing him the full range of vision even in pitch darkness. So I was wondering, like, he calls it this. Does he, when he refers to it or, or writes it down, does he camel case it himself? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's got, uh, you know, an initial public offering and he's got a, a write-up of the papers and the financials of Mage Site and, uh, you know, he's he's going to franchise it. And so he's 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 doing that himself. Well, it's got way too many vowels in it to be successful. I think it's uh, it's it's doomed to fail. He's uh, not smart enough to grab up uh, riff tracks uh, before. <laughs> we uh, we went through some of the names we passed up for that the other day. What they were. <laughs> Yuck yucks, I think. Uh, oh, now in fairness to us, you you put the stinkers on there just so you you know you have time to live with them and also to know what you don't want. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of wow. What if we had just you know just been a little off that yeah. day and chosen one of those folded up names. shop two weeks later? Yak tracks. That was one, and that's an actual product. Lauren told me I should put them on before I went to get a haircut today. Yak tracks. Yak tracks are like a little like spikes or treads you can put on your shoes that sort of strap onto them. Oh, okay. So, All right. To be as no, sure, it's not sure-footed as a yak. I thought it was uh, yaks commenting over uh, existing material <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we 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 discuss. He lives in the Vale, so he's not in the Shire. He's in the Vale, and he lives in something. Uh, his home is a a walls of slab stone. Like the house, which gave the whole structure the sense it was an extension of the natural landscape rather than something that had been built. And if you see the movie, you see that these are absolutely not hobbit holes. They are a, a very distinct 
uh, type of uh, dwelling built into the side of a hill. Um, they're completely unique. Yes, there is no hole in the ground where he lives. But uh, <laughs> but yes, think Hobbit and you will not be far off. <laughs> um, one thing that the Hobbits didn't do that characters in this book are, are doing a lot uh, so far is, uh, is is muttering things or grumbling things in asperity. Did you pick up on that? I did. I did. <laughs> what, why? What? Why that word? I had to ask for a definition from uh, from my uh, from my Amazon Echo uh, because I, I just didn't I didn't know what it meant. Probably because I haven't um, I haven't entered a spelling bee in a long time. But it's and what like, is what does it mean? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, wow! Some power he muttered in asperity. <laughs> some wizard who can't even persuade a pig to pull a power a plow. And uh, if you, I, I had to look once the, these this came up for a second time, and there is like you know eight or nine of them in the book throughout. So it's one of our it's a it's a Claremontism, I guess. Uh, you mean asperity, not uh, pigs being asked to pull plows? <laughs> that that I, I put asperity on Claremont's. Pigs pulling plows on Lucas. I think we can. Uh, there's going to be things you can you can pinpoint to both of those guys throughout. Um, but there's right away. I'm troubled by. I think the movie says it a million times. The name of his wife is what? I think you know since he was he was always sort of just like you know shrieking it. Uh, but I think uh, uh, Kaya. I thought it was, yeah Kaya, but it's spelled K A A Y A. Yeah, Kaya. <laughs> So that always trips me up. Yeah, but it's just it's just Kaya. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, then I'm done. I hope it's not going to be my Ogden. This whole, uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, we, we get. I don't get the sense we're going get, to be getting much of Kaya, but uh, what we do get, we get. Uh, she makes she makes a big impression early on, um, and I, I just think I'm going to read it. Uh, because yeah, I, I want you. I'm turning this section over to you because this I could tell was very exciting to you. <laughs> it, uh, well, I mean, it just it's you know, so the, you get the movie, and then people are are left with questions, and one of the one of the main questions is undoubtedly like you know how erotic does it get between these two? Um, we, we know they have two kids, so that's already sort of the subtext there. But uh, Chris Claremont and or George Lucas wasted no time in, in spelling out their uh, their erotic relationship. He's on the fifth page. We get Willow. He spends some time at a workshop, like making a teddy bear. Uh, but then he comes into uh, he comes into sneaks into bed. He took care not to wake Kaya as he snuggled his way gently beneath the sheets. There was a fresh scent of flowers and sunlight to the cotton. Hardly a surprise, since she'd watched them billow in the afternoon breeze as she hung them out to dry. She stirred anyway, sleepily murmuring his name, and to make up for disturbing her, he gently scratched her back along the length of her shoulder blade. She immediately rolled to her stomach, flexing along the full line of her like a cat, as an invitation to continue. And so he did, stroking the tips of his nails from the top to the bottom of her spine, while she smiled and purred in delight. <laughs> she drew him to her, one kiss leading to another, returning his caresses with her own, and passion quickly claimed them both. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> just read the first word of the next paragraph. What? I don't have it. Afterward, <laughs> and afterwards, he pretty much just emits a huge snore. Right? He's, yeah. he's done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you were one of those kids who got the uh, color changing uh, plastic cup from Wendy's, uh, you've got uh, this to uh, to read uh, as soon as your parents brought you home the book from the Scholastic Book Club. Well, when the movie comes out, who do you think uh, is going to be playing current day? 
Willow oh. and Kaya. <laughs> Man, I you know I'm going to betray my knowledge of uh, of who might be able to fill that role, but uh, got to imagine Dinklage has got to be casting his uh, his head his hat into the ring. Well, though now that we can you know resize any oh, sure, size yeah. human being, I think it widens the field. Although I think that would be you know unfair, right? To to little people, yeah, that's but, not going to uh, happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't know, maybe. Uh, that guy who was in uh, There Will Be Blood, Paul Dano, would he make a good... Uh... <laughs> Kaya? <laughs> or, or Willow? Dual role? Oh, Willow. I was thinking Willow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that got me wondering. So this is now officially on record that uh, that Willow has had sex. Um, and so I just uh, thought about other characters who are sort of, you know, where it's you know also on record that they have done this. Um, and I, I didn't have to go to the dark web, but I, I, I wrote, I wrote a little song, um, about, oh, you wrote one. Yeah. I, I, you know, I just sort of sat down. I I'm not a big music guy. I have no real, uh, musical talent other than the theme song, but I, I, I put some, put some words, put some pen to paper, came up with some lyrics. Um, oh, just, nice. Well, cause you're not a big music guy. You're in a band. Well, I know, but it's not a good band. <laughs> and, the, and the less said about them, the better after seeing how the, uh, the, uh, the high school paper thing went over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I, I, I just thought that other people might appreciate having this sort of laid out, um, other characters who are canonically in this, in this same position, um, and, uh, set it to the tune of, 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 a, of a, of a beloved song just to, uh, make it easier to remember, I guess. So. We can cue it up whenever you're ready. All right, let's let's give it a listen. Willow, Dagwood, Bumstead, Ron Weasley, Betty Rubble, Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka, Topanga. These are all some people who canonically banged. Donkey Kong, Danny Tanner, High and Lois Claire Huxtable had sex with Cliff, there's proof Captain Caveman These are all some people who canonically banged Marge Simpson Lady and the Tramp they're fictional, but they totally banged. Mr. Burns, Carl Winslow. They're fictional, but they totally banged. <laughs> Bowser, Linda Belcher, Dumbo's mom. Uncle Frank from Home Alone got laid. Calvin's dad These are all some people who canonically banged 
These are all some people who canonically banged. These are all some people who canonically banged. So yeah, in case you ever just need to uh, settle a bar bet or, uh, you know, more nefarious means, there's your list of uh, popular characters. That is a, a handy uh, a little thing to carry with you, I think, at all times, because that is going to come up a lot in your life. <laughs> and I learned and, something. And I guess that's a stumper is when you when you say willow. So you can start it that way, win your bar bet, because everyone will go willow. <laughs> uh, and that, or, or I guess if you, you use uh, his, his new name. Oh, sure. Thorn. Yeah. Then you're really going to throw him for one there. <laughs> the one thing that I learned, I uh, originally had a line about Gordon from Sesame Street in there, but uh, I went to, went to verify that. I went to look up his son's name and uh, not not canon, not verifiable because uh, Gordon and Susan adopted their child on Sesame Street. So, so there you go. Wow. So yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So go to a bar, challenge people. <laughs> Thorn, uh, and I always get that last name wrong, Drumhelter, Thorn Drumheller, uh, did he or did he not? (laughs) And uh, and you'll make as much money as those guys who, uh, a guy made a bet with me once that he could eat a bar glass. Good Lord. And and so I think he made about a hundo that day when he actually consumed, broke into pieces and consumed a bar glass. God. So that's... It's about at the same level as that. So, yeah. Wow. I don't know whether he was a traveling circus freak who just <laughs> happened into the bar I was in. But, uh, yeah, wow. you can make as much money with the, the Thorn Drum Heller bet. It so. wasn't one of those, like, internet things where he said that and then there was some, like, wordplay or something where he, uh, you know, I bet I can, uh, you know, yeah. hold an elephant in my hand. And then there's some tr- trick that, you know, it wasn't one of right. those. He literally. <laughs> no, it wasn't like uh, I can move this match without touching it. Right, yeah. Uh, I did it, and then you lift the glass. Right, yeah. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, he uh, he ate it in front of me. No. That man is uh, probably not alive No, anymore, yeah, exactly. But, he can yeah. do uh, nine more of those and be able to afford a tenth of his hospital bill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, great. Well, thank you for compiling those, Yeah, Connor. you're welcome. That's, it's, um, that's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, so he, after that, he immediately starts riding a dragon, which I think they want you to ignore the symbolism of. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, he rides to, rides and talks to the dragon. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, th- dragons were not in the, in the main movie. So he's, uh, he's surprised and scared to be finding himself, himself in this position, um, which he naturally assumes is a dream, um, and uh, the, the thing that I thought was interesting was he he's soaring through the air. He's seeing all these things. And <laughs> that's it's where the author feels the need to to include some details about uh, Willow's DIY home repair past. He said he knew houses in his village where one of the dragon scales would, would have served as a good sized wall. The only reason he didn't number among them was that he'd expanded it to a second story when the children grew old enough for rooms of their own. <laughs> and it says, normally heights terrified, and his wife was far better on ladders than he. So just, you know, real rich details here. <laughs> well, I was added a second story to his home, but not for uh, not for fear of ladders, because his wife is better on them. And we are on page, like, six of a prologue here. <laughs> Could you cut to the chase, man? Oh, man. Uh, but but I have, uh, I like to do uh, voice challenges for us here. So uh, here's a, a, the challenge for us both, to do this voice. 
uh, voice of the dragon. It was a pleasant voice with a baritone's hearty resonance, the kind he'd expect to hear at the Ram's Horn Inn telling <laughs> stories before the blazing hearth fire. So give me uh, give me your best impression of that voice. Well, look who has wandered into the Ram's Horn this fine evening. Grab a tankard of ale, Willow, and pull up a chair. Very good, yeah. Mine would be something like this. Oh, this is my first time at the Ram's Horn Inn, but who wants to bet that I can't eat one of your bar glasses? Hmm? So, yeah, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, um, yeah. I hope we go back to the Ram's Horn, though I fear it might not survive the, uh, the events that close out the prologue. Um, I think one of the reasons that the voice is pleasant and has a uh, hearty baritone resonance is uh, depicted in this line. Willow Ulfgood was the new one's <laughs> reply as the dragon offered a wry grin with his surprisingly mobile mouth that revealed <laughs> fangs far longer than Willow was tall. <laughs> uh, uh, I have two questions about that. Uh, did we have a, a line like that in the, the mister, uh, surprisingly <laughs> mobile mouth? And the second question, why is it a surprise that his dream dragon has a... <laughs> A mobile mouth. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what that means. Like, I'm picturing, uh, you know, His the previous dragons had lockjaw. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Or like, it's like uh, in in a cartoon where their their teeth are piano keys. All of a sudden, that's a su- surprising mobility. <laughs> sure. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he, he, you know, he that dragon like gets it all the time too. So it was everything he could do to hold back. I'm like, God, your mouth is really mobile. Like, I know, I know. Yeah, okay, exactly. my mouth is mobile. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so it is, it is Willow does assume it's a dream, but like uh, even, even in this dream, the dragon starts like uh, he flies him up above the clouds and he starts uh, dropping knowledge on him about, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, you know, the, the metaphysics of the world, I guess. Like he, he, he explains to him, you know, he essentially uh, is the first person to ever Tell or suggest to Willow that the world is round. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I didn't even notice that yeah. detail. He's I like, the world has no end. Yeah, and Willow says, you lie. And uh, then he says, look to the edge of what you can see, Willow. How do things appear? Are you too afraid to try? And uh, Willow takes a brave stance because no giant lizard was going to shame him. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> but I imagine that the... Uh, I imagine that the uh, the the lizard shaming ballroom at DragonCon is actually one of the more popular rooms. You can just <laughs> to stand in line to be shamed by a giant lizard is probably pretty popular. Uh, the recreate uh, Willow and Kaya room is much more popular. But... <laughs> and when they combine the two on the final night, that's a uh, whoo, whoo boy. Mm. Uh, yeah, he mentions uh, domains there as here all the realms of the Vale folk. <laughs> And I, I, this is my question to you. How much do you know? You saw the movie. How much do you know about the Vale folk? Because I, I looked them up. Oh, God. Um, well, they had like the high priest who um, did that. And they have some sort of harvest celebration every year, which looked uh, pretty crappy. Um, mm-hmm. They, I don't believe that they leave the Vale unless they find a baby in the reeds who'd been floated down the river like Moses. And that is where my knowledge ends. Are you confusing the Vale folk with the, the Nelwins? Nelwin? Damn it. Oh, you. Man. I don't. I'm going to be laughed out of Dragon Con next year before I can even be <laughs> lizard shamed. Let me set you straight. The Vale folk have a weakness towards steel and can't stand their touch. <laughs> As a means of protection against the races who are immune to and work with it, 
I have examples. The Dakini, the Nulwin, and the Forge Folk. They bred a race of warhounds, which eventually became the Death Dogs. Oh, my God. Which I assumed was like some Brooklyn Brew Pub's version (laughs) of a Nathan's with uh, ghost pepper uh, jelly on it or something. But no, the Death Dogs were those, uh, the the dogs with carpeting on their back and the rat tails. Which was, there was a movie they were colorizing in the early days of uh, Rift Tracks at the other side of the office called, uh, what the hell was it? Oh, we did it on MST. Yeah, there's just dogs with carpets on them. Right, much, much tinier, less intimidating dogs than those ones in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it was called. Uh, Shrew. No, not Killer Shrew. Shrews. Yep, ki- yep. Killer Shrews. Killer yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you you read them some of them there, but we get a uh, we get serious Lucas names, you know, um, as opposed to the the Naboo and the uh, the Wootinis and all that. Like like they, they're <laughs> yes. in, in full strength here with the Nelwyn, the Daikini, the Devil Death Dogs. Um, so you, you get the sense he probably just handed out that outline. To this, uh, you know, more respected author, it was like, make sure the Dakini make it in there, and the dead, the Death Dogs too, you know, don't don't go making these names less stupid. Yeah, and he, the, this author probably said, I have a good name for the Dream Dragon. Like, no, I already did it. It's Denier, Callan Denier. <laughs> uh, but mine is good. Right. It's Callan Denier. All right. Um, so he, uh, he, he essentially just like opens Willow's eyes. It's like uh, when when Neo takes the red pill in the Matrix. Um, to sort of, uh, and it fills him with terror, even though he's, for some reason, uh, thinks it's, it's just a dream. It's like, you know, he's left trembling with the awful sweep required of his imagination. I script him heart and soul, a terror as sudden and all-consuming as the fear of his family's death. And then in the next sentence, he's just like, but this is a dream, so I don't care what you're saying, dragon. So, you know, he can't have it both ways. I, I'm still slightly foggy about which part is dream and what time we're in at which section so (laughs) maybe you can enlighten me once we get to chapter one sure since this was a prologue frankly i wasn't paying a lot of attention to it and then it just went on and on and on you know it's like when we're we're writing a a riff tracks and you're in a section where it's just some interminable thing and you just you start writing with the assumption well this is obviously going to be over in 30 seconds right and then 12 minutes of film later, you're still in the exact same location. Right, yes, exactly. Trying to come up with new jokes. That was me like, I'm going to be done with the prologue any second now. Any second. (laughs) And it just keeps going. Um, Just going back a little bit, he talked about the uh, this sentence, and I just wondered if anyone immediately wrote a fart joke in their own mind here. He said, there was a rush of wind, exceptionally gentle, considering the tremendous size of the creature that generated it. I was trying to think of who the guy we would then tag that on. Right. <laughs> who would that creature be? I, uh, but I'll leave that to the listeners. The Dragon's Fart Tavern is the uh, the rival to the uh, the Boar's Horn or whatever that one was. <laughs> the, the, the Ram's Horn. Right. Uh, I like this, and this is going to be a fun game to sort of play. We, we've done this before with, with Lucas Projects. Um, but it says uh, they, they approach, I think, the, the castle where he's going to meet the other characters from the first movie. Uh, it says, a serried line of mountains, saw-toothed and jagged like the mouth of a shark, building to the ugly hollow of an ancient volcano. It just got me wondering, are there sharks in the Willowverse? Like, w- w- Willow has not seen sharks. There was not sharks in the other movie. So 
there and the things like this keep stacking up throughout the book um so i think it'll be a, a fun game to keep playing just to be like is this something the author is just telling us or is this something that the that the characters are are meant to uh be conveying to us because as far as i know there there were no sharks um that, that we would have ever encountered yeah i mean it's always jarring when okay so it's an omniscient narrator but you generally don't you know the mountains lined up like um you know uh inverted coffee cups at a uh, uh you know at a fast food restaurant right. you know like wait wait a minute uh, <laughs> right you don't have the, you got to kind of limit those descriptions yeah. to the known universe the yeah. minstrels uh, banged out a rhythm on their drums similar to the uh, 2019 viral hit baby shark <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, so, uh, he, she, the dragon essentially takes them to the, uh, the castle in, behind those shark-like mountains. And this is where we, we get to, uh, see Mad Mardigan and Sorsha fighting, um, who were two, uh, two of the main characters from the movie. And, um. Yeah, yes, which when I read this, that's, I, I had, I watched the movie after oh, the fact. Wow. <laughs> so this was deeply, deeply confusing. <laughs> Although it, it came into focus with this sentence when he gets to the ta- to the uh, castle the woman wore black wool and cotton and leather and mail as though ready to ride to battle and i just like how often do you recognize fabric makeup from far <laughs> off like, he can name every fabric <laughs> yeah it's a uh, he goes it, it goes into george rr R. martin syndrome where there's just paragraphs uh, spent describing you know, doublets and jerkins and all that stuff. It happens really quickly as soon as you meet these two people. Boiled leather, isn't that the? Oh yeah, that's I, the, I've never read it, but it, that's what everyone tells me. It's like yeah, pages of boiled leather. It's amazing. Like, and it, you know, I, I assume at some point it becomes, you know, he he leans into it, but uh, he he keeps doing it, and it's not really funny unless you're in, a, you know, unless you've read the internet uh, word counts of his books. But uh, but yeah, we get some of that stuff here too. Fur trimmed boots. Uh, more appropriate to the royal court, splendid for the dance, useless on campaign. Uh, his pants were cut more to show the elegant shape of his leg than actual comfort. His shirt was a bell-sleeved cotton, so fine it resembled silk. What the hell? I mean, wh- especially knowing what we do is that these people die in 10 pages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But she was wearing boots with the fur? Yeah. I think that was Mad Mardigan. Um, <laughs> okay. Fuck yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> the other thing, and this is another thing to keep an eye on as we go forward, I, I I only I, I read this twice because I read it too before the movie and then went back because I had no idea what was going on. But the uh, the the hair descriptions are abundant and unnecessary and incredibly detailed. So I just started flagging them every time they happened. The, oh wow! I did not pick up on that. Oh, what do you, it's incredible. What do you got? So he he's the first one he he describes is a. Uh, uh, I guess we get Willow's hair at first for some reason, but it says Willow's hair was shoulder length and full, mahogany brown at first glance, but shot through with streaks of fiery russet that manifested themselves in the right light. Um, so that's odd uh, just to have uh, deceptive hair. And then you get Sorsha. Uh, the only spot of color about her was her hair. It was the red of fallen leaves, the dusky rose of simmering coals, making her face appear all the more pale by contrast. The man's hair appeared black. The willow knew it was laced with dark brown. So, like, both of them, Willow and Man Mardigan, have, have deceptive hair. <laughs> Which, uh, you know. As some sort of force field? Or, <laughs> aha, you, you thought my hair was this, but it's not. Ah, it's, I've distracted you long enough to stab you. Maybe they end up on the, uh, 
on the, the, the realms version of the newlywed game where, you know, you have to match your partner's secret answer and they, uh, but they both know each other's secret hair colors. Right. It's, <laughs> or much more likely it will not pay off and has no bearing on anything. Well, I assume that they're not returning though. Because we're on a new adventure, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason people did not like the book is because it uh, it sort of just uh, took what they liked about the first book and, and immediately dispatched them. We do get this line from Mad Mardigan, which I liked, uh, to her. You're a princess, damn it. <laughs> Try acting the part. I'm supposed to be the rogue here. Yeah. <laughs> I like when characters right. <laughs> completely upfront about who they are. When they read the show Bible notes to the reader. Yeah. Damn it, I'm Rick, the heartbroken tavern owner, <laughs> pretending to be cynical, and, and you're Ilsa, the devoted but world-weary love interest. <laughs> but he would say that in his rich baritone at the uh, ram's horn. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and so she is, yeah, she's also a, a reluctant princess, as she spells out, too. She says, I hate the way the king's household looks at me. They want to make me something I'm not and resent me for resisting. Thanks for laying it out there. <laughs> um, and then they, they quickly bring up the scene of, uh, uh, he says, I, I think you look lovely in a gown. And she says, funny, based on our first meeting, I thought much the same of you. Because when they meet in the book, he is uh, he is oh, right. uh, uh, He's doing that bad uh, sub, some like it hot uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. cross-dressing. <laughs> right, uh, angry husband breaks in on him like, uh, like in an old cartoon and he has to put on a dress to escape. Yeah, Bugs Bunny actually looked better. <laughs> Um, but this is where she introduces, um, very clumsily, I thought, his, uh, what, what his name is going to be for the rest of the book. Um, she calls him a, a, she's like, you've always been, I've always thought of you as a drum heller, Willow, which is a part pathfinder, part stalking horse. The warrior sent ahead of all the rest of us to charm and ambush out of hiding. Um, so, okay. And then she, she, some one of them says, thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I guess. <laughs> and then another one says, conversations like this, my lad, it strikes me Willow's not the name for you. Bends too easily. Um, no one you may appear in form, but in substance, you are something far more formidable, deserving of a, deserving of a title to match for the duration of this dream. Cause he's, Willow tells them and he thinks it's a dream, which they just sort of accept. For the duration of this dream, you shall henceforth be known with all rights as Thorn Drumheller. Which, Okay. All right. That's but <laughs> do, interesting. Do I have to? Sure. Yeah, exactly. I, do I go to the DMV right now or <laughs> how, how does this work? Yeah. Uh, my problem with this whole section was I did not understand that all this wisecracking back and forth. I, maybe I'm the truth is finally revealed that I'm not actually a very good reader at all. Okay. But it was foggy to me what was happening in space here. Where Where are they? They're somewhere in a castle, and they're bantering back and forth. He talks a lot about how their verbal repartee is just sharper than any sword, oh, and they're yeah. doing things like, uh, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> and he's like, boy, oh boy, those two, and you wound them up. Yeah. Whew, firecrackers. Yeah, it's I like mean, listening to a, you know, Christopher Hitchens debate, uh, another you know, prominent, like, well-spoken person with their yeah, japes. Yeah, the Algonquin their... round table, yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's Bone moles. We get those with the brownies, too. But no, I, I felt the same way. I felt it very hard to, uh, you know, time and space and mind's eye to picture what was going on. Um, in okay. a lot All of these right. situations. And um, yeah, maybe I'm an idiot, but uh, uh, I, I did read it twice. So um, Okay, so all we know, he creeps up to a castle, so they're just somewhere. Yeah, I, fe I felt like they were like on, uh, you know, in between the parapets, um, okay. you know, fencing, overlooking something. There's evidently like a celebration going on because there's music playing too. So um, 
But, you know, again, doesn't matter. They die in five pages from here, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, the, the exact quote you were talking of was uh, uh, Willow, uh, Willow says, you're both demented. Takes one to know one was Mad Mardigan's repost. These two fenced as fiercely with words as with blades. <laughs> do they? Do, do they? <laughs> it's like uh, I wondered. I, I wondered if that was a joke or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. But no, it keeps coming up. Like the, they say this, the, pretty much the same thing about the brownies. Hmm. Okay. Um, and speaking of that celebration, uh, there's a description of it. This time she didn't hit him or push away, but tried to match herself to the melodies of the fiddles. Uh, Ulan pipes <laughs> and Tiampan gaily holding forth below. Uh, oh, I guess it's Ilan pipes. I've never known how to pronounce that. No, uh, I, I know a fiddle. I know Ilan pipes. Never heard of Tim Tiampan. Uh, what would you think just offhand? Tiampan. I would assume it's, that you had misspelled timpani. It's not a drum. It's like a hammer dulcimer. Hmm. Not so. Not a fan. So anyway, when you think of the music she's matching, just think of the most renaissance bullshit you've ever possibly heard in your life. And that's what's happening while they're doing their little uh, whatever, when, their tete-a-tete. When the crowd demands uh, part two of the uh, canonically banged song, that's what, the, uh, that's what I will set it to. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, he, he sort of like says, like, if, you know, if I never see the, soon of you, the two of you again, it will be too soon uh, as he leaves and... Um, it sort of has like it does a like Stephen King does this a lot. It's like he didn't mean it, of course, but that's the trouble with words spoken in haste and in heat. They come back to haunt you. So a little bit of foreshadowing, but I guess we've already ruined the surprise that they they both die. Right. Oh, I should point out before this is just a weird uh, coincidence that I noticed. Uh, what's her name? Sorsha. Sorsha. Yeah, it always bugged me because it sounds too much like sorceress or something like that. Sorcerer. Yeah. She says. To in this sentence, to charm, Sorcia repeated, and with a grace that matched her mates, took Willow by the hands and drew him gently along the sky bridge. Oh, wow. Sky bridge, which <laughs> is, uh, I, I mean, it's Shatlardian, right? Yes, there... yes, very much. Uh, the Plaz Sky Bridge. Yes. But yeah. But it's also, uh, it reminded me right away of there's, uh, you know, the repla- the legendary band, sure. The Replacements. Of course. Oh, yeah. We've Paul Westerberg, who I saw. In a grocery store just the other day, if I may, if I may give it away, my celebrity sighting. <laughs> Did you ask him which uh, version of uh, Can't Hardly Wait he considers to be the superior one? I, I, it was so, he is not a person who gives off an air of, please come up and say <laughs> silly things to me. <laughs> um, anyway, he has a song that uh, has that same name. And I just wanted to, it just, it's a beautiful little haunting love song. And so I just wanted to play a little snippet oh, yeah. of one of my favorite songs, Sky Bridge. Wondering if I'll sleep Wondering if we'll meet out in the street To take the sky bridge It don't move at all like a subway It's got bums when it's cold like any other place It's warm up inside Sitting down and waiting for a ride Beneath the sky bridge So there you go, wow. isn't that uh, yeah, touch, beautiful, touching, isn't it? Yeah, you, you sort of, it puts you in the uh, in, in, a, in a Minneapolis winter mindset. 
Yeah, I like as it. we all take the sky bridges. This book is inspiring. Some uh, some some serious music. I wonder what it could be about. It's just the minstrels or the I don't know. Tim Tim O'Pans, Illin Pipes. I'm not even going to try yeah. to pronounce it. I don't have it set in front of me, but. Uh, there's probably someone just, I'm going to say it again, just so the person who knows how to pronounce it out there is just enraged. <laughs> Tiamo, Tiamopan? God. <laughs> well, we'll find some, we'll find some music. Maybe we can lay it on the uh, outro. Do not take Tiamopan if you have recently been to a country <laughs> where fungal infections are common. Uh, all right. Yeah. So he's got a new name and, uh, I probably didn't even know as I read this that they died. So oh. let's get to that. Sure. I, I mean, I guess I'm assuming that, but yeah, he he goes to he goes to visit his his um, the baby who was the baby from the movie whose name I don't have written down, Alora Dannon, and she's like uh, she's like one of those annoying people who have two names that you always have to say, like I guess Mary Kate Olson. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Pet peeve of mine. Um, so, uh, but he, when he goes in, uh, he, he doesn't need to use his mage site because there's so much light in the thing. And we get another thing, uh, uh, does this exist in the Willowverse? It says, Willow took advantage of their disputations, the, the brownies who have already shot him in the ass with an arrow. Uh, Willow took advantage of their disputations to cross to the bed for a closer look at his goddaughter. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I need to know the extent of, you know the the presence of the Almighty in the Willowverse because it wasn't yeah, what, touched on. What church would that be? <laughs> right, like is it a f- and how how seriously in some places you know that you can be a god daughter, but it's not. There's not a religious obligation. Others take it quite seriously, <laughs> and you were responsible for the spiritual upbringing of this person. So that'd be good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just uh, we'll we'll add that to the list. Uh, do sharks exist? And does God exist in this uh, in this in this Willowverse? Um, but uh, we get another one, uh, number four, I think, uh, for because when you when you see a one year old baby, uh, the first thing you need to know is uh, all about her hair. So her hair was spun gold, shot through with strands of fire that might well have come from Sorsha's own head. So everyone has hair that has like you know one color, but then you know secretly has a, a second color somewhere inside of it. Well, that's, I mean, you know, that's very popular right now, isn't it? Uh, that that kind of, uh, you know, dyed hair where there's kind of strips of blonde in it. Uh, you know, you used to try to hide that, but now it's just sort of a fashion thing. So, uh, yeah, they probably go to the same hairdresser. <laughs> right. Which also, hairdresser's very much a part of the Willowverse. Oh, totally. Yeah, he does that, like, foil treatment, right? Right. Where you foil off and then paint the rest of the hair <laughs> and then take the foil off and do that. Yeah. Um, it- Makes sense to me. Oh, by the way. This baby, I th- wasn't it one hundred percent a ginger in the movie, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was like I was like, could this be Ron Howard's daughter? Because she has like pretty yeah, prominent red hair. Same thing. Uh, but it was, it yeah. was. We saw at the end because I was like, I wonder if this baby went on to do anything. And it was, it was again like two babies, like twins and stuff. But um, and, and it was a very, a very cute baby, very effective at the the job it was doing. That's there. There's my positive for uh, for Willow, uh, but. By the eleven thousandth time they cut to the baby and filled, you know, padded the movie. I was like, "All right, all right, there's a baby in that thing." I know, yeah. but it was doing like the, you know, dog reaction sh- to nut shots. I mean, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that mm. that really stood out to me. I was like, if I had the wherewithal, I would make a gallery of the reaction shots for Patreon or something because, yeah, it was constant cutaways to a baby that was clearly nowhere near anything that was happening. But right, it had all sorts of like smiles or cringes or. 
um, you know, probably just having a probably having gas. But like that was the uh, that was how they they utilized the baby for the most part. And then it was fake in every other scene. Right. Uh, and that brings us to another thing that, you know, going back to the movie, because we didn't talk about this. Uh, as you were doing this, did you read the brownies in the voices of the movie brownies? Oh, God. Were, yeah. Because I, Bridget was uh, trying to do some work behind <laughs> me in the same room. <laughs> and I was going, <laughs> every time they came on, I was like, God damn it. Shut <laughs> up. Shut up. Yeah. And she's like, um, I'm, I'm actually writing something back here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry, Father. Let me unfathom- put the phone down and, and mute this and ask Mike to please. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is unfathomable to me that they got through a single round of focus grouping, where you know, in focus groups, you know, of course, they do the thing. Who's your uh, Who's your favorite character? Who's your least favorite character? <laughs> And I, Barb, you didn't like the uh, the wizard. Yeah, the wizard is supposed to be evil, though. I'll remind you that. Uh, <laughs> but in this one, it had to be like hands shooting up. Yeah. Please, please, God, take those brownies out of this movie. They were like biting down on multiple balls of tin foil on your fillings all the time. And so clearly, just something that uh, you know is George Lucas's. You know, like we got to have a annoying as shit comic relief character in here because otherwise, like. Why, you know, why would you be laughing? And it's like, no one's laughing. We're all irritated by these, by these people. Like, you know, um, but yeah, they, I'm, I was disappointed that they are the people that are going to be uh, tagging along for the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in that movie too, this is a thing that I had forgotten. I did remember that there was that irritating, you know, Kevin Pollack. I forget the other guy's name. Uh, another very successful comedian. So uh, I don't know whether they were directed to just like do the first funny voice that you could possibly think of. And Kevin Pollack goes, oh, I'm a guy who talks like this. (laughs) And the other guy's like, no way, man. And then they sped up their voices to make them even more annoying. Right. Uh, But yeah, I the fact that then they played throughout the film, they were a huge part of it. They they weren't just like a little spice and you could like a jar jar that you could kind of ignore for the most part. No, key, uh, key parts of it that yeah. just, you know, keep coming back and following them no matter how far they travel. And we're not really aware what their powers are, if that's part of it. But uh, um, yeah, uh, an annoyance to say the least. I remember, you know, when we when we created the uh, the disembodio mechanic for sinking rift tracks, I think we were just like, yeah, so just like, you know, alter alter Connor's voice and uh, just so they know that it's not like one part of the actual thing. And he was like, how about this? And he hits like two buttons and it was like, yeah, that works, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's pitch fine. shift and this <laughs> thing. And that's pretty much like what they did in the movie, too. Just like and speed it up, pitch shift. And there's your effect for this million dollar movie. <laughs> Yep, for this huge budgeted movie. Uh, yeah, so, and that the fact that these guys are along apparently for the ride in this book. Uh, and also, though, shooting him with arrows, hmm. I, I'm just reaching out and crushing him right now because right. those movie, they, they were depicted in the movie. It's not like being hit with a, you know, a grain of rice shot from a tiny rubber band or something. They're like penetrating his flesh yeah, quite right. Yeah. It's like someone stabbing you with a, you know, a straightened out paperclip all the way down two inches into your flesh or something. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, uh, it's not a friendly little like, uh, you know, ear flick or something. What was the thing that, uh, in the, in the high school in San Diego that they had to ban the boys from doing to each other? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, uh, I, I'll just, I'll describe it before saying what the name is because the name really brings it home is the, the boys would walk up with either, uh, one hand or two, 
which would be the double version of what I'm about <laughs> to tell you, and to another guy and just reach under the male breast and sort of grab a little like bit of flesh and sort of push up, you know, <laughs> just like you're grabbing them and then would say, scoop. <laughs> <laughs> and so the principal of the school had to write a, a very, you know, a very officious document with the, you know, there will be no more scooping if I, <laughs> no single scoops, no double scoops. He pauses, he looks up at his master's degree, he, uh, yeah. you know, his, his PhD yeah. in education and then goes back to the scooping document. But yeah, so it wasn't like, yeah, it's not even like one of those to greet someone. It's an actual arrow. Um, so yeah, he must, so he must have been delighted when they tagged along in one of the things that, you know, he spent a lot of time discussing and is probably going to have a, uh, a role later in the, in the book, but his, uh, his traveling pouch, which, uh, is sort of, you know, it's just like his mage site where it's like, uh, yeah, Willow can see in the dark now. Oh, and he also has this magic bag, which, uh, uh, it says the apparent size of the bag bore no relationship whatsoever to the volume within or how much it could carry. Food would stay fresh. Water wouldn't spill. If something fit through the drawstring, it could be carried inside. All he had to do was think about what he needed and reach in. If it had been packed away, his hand would instantly find it. So it just, you know, it's just going to hand wave away any concerns about. So how is he, you know, going to be eating as he's wandering the world? Eh, he has food. You know, he always has water and he can transport anything he wants to wherever he goes. I wondered if Lucas had just been playing a video game or something and that, and that was the first time that he'd ever heard of, you know, like picking up various weapons and things and they just magically are yours now. Right. And so he's like, well, this is cool. I should put this in a movie. <laughs> George, that's every video game. Right. Yeah. No, they'll want a detailed description of how it works. They don't care. Right. Uh, we also get some more of their uh, of the uh, the brownies who are also fiercing as fencing as fiercely with words as with blades. And one of them says, uh, she's sleeping all right? He asked as he smoothed her hair on the bear's head. Like a baby, said Rule. Dolt, said Frangin. What did you expect? She is a baby. Hmm. Moving on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the uh, the bar. The bar for verbal, uh, verbal japery is low. I started reading... I confess, I started reading even this part before. So maybe right around here is when I watched the movie in between my two readings. And Rule and Frangin, Fran, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Sure. Uh, I had no idea their dialogue was supposed to be funny banter <laughs> between them. I didn't know what it was. I, like, well, these guys are very odd right. and clunky, but uh, maybe they'll make sense later or something. Right. But uh, no, that is supposed to be them cracking wise like crazy. Right? Yeah, if you hadn't seen the movie, you wouldn't know it was supposed to be, uh, you know, Waldorf and Statler, I guess. Right. Um, and then, uh, well, I, I'm jumping to the dream is over and there it is. The next he knew it was morning. He woke with a start beside his wife where he'd known he'd been all through the night. So just marking it here, I think that's pretty much every book. Right. I know it was in all Klein books. Uh, it was in, I think it was in Shatlart. What, Waking with a Start? Waking with a Start. And it was in uh, Truckin'. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it had to be in a Mister. I, I mean, Blariana had to yes, be waking it was up in, in the, the back mister. of the car, uh, you know, waking with yep, a start yep. and knocking the bucket over. Yep. And she would, uh, when she wasn't waking with snapping one eye open... <laughs> She was waking with a start. But uh, yeah, I think I said in a previous one about that because they had been stacking up that I wrote an essay for like sophomore English where I started with that. And the teacher was like, come on. (laughs) 
Oh. Well, uh, yeah, so he wakes with a start, and it says uh, he did not know that while he slept, the world as he known it had come to its end. And so that's how the prologue ends, even though the prologue is, uh, you know, it was, it was three-fifths of what we were going to cover today. <laughs> right. So nothing... So I guess that's my question about, so that was a dream or it did happen? Well, the, the brownies are on his, uh, on his nightstand. Um, uh, so they have, you know, tagged along with him. So I think we are led to believe that it actually did happen. I don't know. That's hmm. the one clue, but, I guess, that he, he wakes up and, you know, he's got sand in his pocket. He's like, but I dreamed I was at the beach. Like, But see if you, see if this sounds familiar. This is, I think, from the final paragraph. He was so thankful for that realization that it was a long few moments before his <laughs> mind registered what his eyes beheld from the first. All right. Yeah, that works. So time just doesn't, in all of our books, time's not just what it is. It's either long version, usually longer. Right. Or needlessly specific. Long minutes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's either that or, yeah, just, uh, you know, he looked at it for, for three minutes um, as he walked down the hall talking to the uh, evil Sorrento guy or something. <laughs> the Sorrento office walk, I believe, was two minutes. <laughs> Just put the stopwatch on that of walking down a hall with a guy. Yeah, in, in that I, in that situation, I got my hair cut today, and it was like you know, oh, all right, I've sort of exhausted the pleasantries of the holidays, and you know, once you stop talking, it's hard to gear it back up again, and then it's like it gets long enough that it's like, oh boy, now it's really weighing on me. And <laughs> but that was a yeah, I wasn't walking down the hall next to someone. At least when you're cutting your hair, it's like oh, I'll just close my eyes and sort of let her do her thing yeah everybody's favorite thing i i have found i finally found a person who we uh everything is understood about it so there's no more discomfort mm -hmm. i've been to this person enough that she uh you know has a few hey didn't you travel last time and then i'll say that i did and then she ceases to be interested <laughs> and we're perfectly fine delightful with it. amazing <laughs> yeah. yep so that's I'm sticking with her no matter how bad my hair is. <laughs> yes. I, I'm just uh, yeah. I didn't want to say anything, but I uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's worth it, cost it now. Three hundred dollars every time. <laughs> uh, well, having covered the prologue of the book, uh, we might as well read some fan fiction. All right, so this is real or fanfic uh, segments where we uh, read either passages that come later in the book or uh, fanfic that was written by you, our loyal and sometimes very clever listeners. Uh, and we try to see if Mike can guess which one is real and which one is fanfic. We have five of them today. And I was trying to suss out on Patreon, like, is it harder in the beginning, do you think? Because you don't have a grasp of the book, or is it easier uh, because there's, like, such a blank canvas where anything could happen in the, in the next 400 pages of this book? Yeah, I think we're both, we're in the same boat, unless it's someone who's very familiar and has read ahead, but does that necessarily help them because I haven't? Right. There's a lot of levels going on here. <laughs> it's multi-level chess. Right. Uh, all right, so here's entry number one. 100,000 crowns. That got everybody's attention. It was literally a king's ransom. But only if they're alive and substantially unharmed. They're of no use dead. You've seen what that damned sorcerer can do. Anna Carey. And I pray to see him undo it, Modri. They may not be slain within the walls. My father, the other royals, the people. Until I know better. I choose to hold on to that hope. I need a place to work and one of your household sorcerers. I'll also be sending word to the realms beyond. Whoever he is, that cunning little man, whatever he's about... By morning, I want him to find every hand turned against him. 
Wherever he runs or tries to hide, every door and pathway will be closed. Whatever the cost, Lord Castellan, I want Thorn Drumheller found. Hmm. See, this is tough. This is tough. Um, but I, I realized while you were reading that, an, an angle will be how many dumbass names can they <laughs> s- slip by me <laughs> and fool me on. That, that'll be a rich vein now that, uh, now that I realize that. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, in, with the absence of any knowledge yet, I'm going to say that was real. All right. Here is number two. Uh, two furious brownie heads popped up before his eyes, cheeks flaming with anger. Thorn, you never listened, snapped Rule. I don't know why we stick around, added Frangine. Without us, you'd long since have lost the very boots on your feet. Or lost your way. Or lost your head. Their voices had been increasing in volume with each breath, always impressive given their tiny size. So do as we tell you, they shrieked in unison. Thorn muttered and scowled like a carpenter who had just hit his thumb with a hammer, but at least he gave in and nodded. All right, I'm going to say that that's fanfic. Okay. Leaning heavy on the the brownies there. (laughs) Uh, Number three. The death dog gave a low snarl, bearing a dreadful row of teeth sharp and straight as spears arrayed for battle. Stinking spittle dripped from its powerful jaws to pool on the cool, hard earth below. No, yelled Thorn. The creature had Frangine square in its sights. The brownie whistled a jaunty tune as he rubbed his hands together by the fire, warming his diminutive frame, utterly aware of the mortal danger stalking him from the shadows. The Nelwyn had his mage sight to thank for alerting him to the death dog's presence, and now, as the hound braced for attack, he had no choice but to call on his full powers of magery and meld his consciousness with that of the slavering beast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's, I mean, it's good. I'll say it's fanfic. Number four. The Nelwyn couldn't reach the rope serving as a pull, but the door snapped open suddenly, sending him stumbling back. Frangine recovered first. From upon Thorn's shoulders, he gave a courtly bow. His hat tickled Thorn's ear as it swept past. A small, plump daikini in a small, homespun yet frilly dress stood before them, holding the door open. Her face became all rosy-cheeked as she smiled. Thorn felt something stir in his heart where it hadn't since the cataclysm, letting in a sliver of warmth where it had been dry and as cold as a clear desert night. Well, aren't you cute, she said. Frangine crushed his hat to his chest. You make successful effort to flatter me, my dear lady. She po- she propped a fist on a saucy round hip and said, I wasn't talking to you. Uh, and then uh, he goes over and traces his fingernail <laughs> down her shoulder blade. And we know what happens then. Uh-huh. Um, I hope that's real. But I'm going to say it's fan. All right. And finally, number five. The stout black-haired daikini stood at the prow of the low-slung bark his muscular tattooed arms coiling a heavy rope wound from the scattered patches of grasses that dotted the beaches bordering the Irelon coast. He eyed the Nelwyn and the two brownies suspiciously. The dun sails of the ship were tattered and ragged and brought to mind in their swaying the march of the pirates of that region who once had swarmed the small towns and villages nearby like ants on a crusty rind of hearth-baked bread. This is our passage forward, Thorn asked, looking up at the two brownies who had now retreated behind him. Well, I like ants on crusty hearth baked bread, which, which I think you can actually get along with a death dog at one of those bars with a uh, triple IPA, um, an imperial red yeah, brewed from uh, uh, brewed from yeast found in the brewer's beard, of course. Yeah, yes. Uh, I got to say, fanfic. All right. 
Well, well, well. Oh, boy. I think you got 100%. Oh, that's what that well meant. Wow, yes. Uh, number one, the uh, the, the 100,000 crowns with the uh, Ancari, Modri, Lord Castellan. That was real, sent in by Stephen. Uh, number two was... Uh, Number two was the uh, the brownies bantering about losing your head or your way. That was fanfic sent in by Melissa. You're right. People people leaned heavily on the brownies this time around. It was I think it was the easiest thing to imitate was their shitty banter. Uh, <laughs> number three was uh, that was uh, uh, the death dog about to attack Frangine. That was fanfic sent in by Christine. Uh, number four was the uh, plump daikini with the saucy round hip. That was fanfic sent in by Marie. And then number five. No, I thought number five was going to trick you, man. I guess I thought that the uh, the Dunsales and the low sung bark b a r q u e and mm-hmm. ants on the. I guess maybe the ants was a little too uh, was a bridge too far, but that was fanfic set in by Rob. Yeah, again, I wouldn't say too far. I mean, given some of the descriptions, there's some coming up that I think he's taking it from. I believe there's a. Uh, <laughs> There's some biscuit description oh, yes. and, and griddles <laughs> that got me uh, going, what? <laughs> Why are we pulling that in here? But uh, yeah, oh. well done. Uh, yeah, everyone. well done. I, there was uh, several more I, I didn't have to try to pick from, so we'll have those for next time. But send in yours next time if you think you can do better. Um, this is a bonus one that was just one sentence that I, I thought was very funny, but I, I didn't think it was worth putting in because it wasn't long enough. But it was uh, from Andrew. Thorne shouldn't have been surprised that his pig was too stubborn to die in the cataclysm. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. So yeah, didn't didn't have a chance to uh, to read them all, but uh, thanks to everyone who sent them in, including uh, all of our Patreon supporters who stepped up uh, this time around. We have been uh, man, we did a lot on Patreon in between the uh, these books. We did a, a review of. Uh, the white worm movie we did a white worm mailbag and we uh everyone everyone gets these episodes early so they've been uh, snatching up all the used copies of this book for a uh, much cheaper than everybody else so thank you for everyone who supports us on patreon uh for five dollars a month you get every episode early but even just kicking in a buck or two uh makes it uh more fun to do this i'm not gonna lie yeah there was a, a lot of activity patreon was ablaze with things uh <laughs> over this little uh otherwise hiatus because yeah. it wasn't really a hiatus yeah. uh i should mention as far as fanfic goes too i got a janelle um who's been uh, listening from from day one uh sent me the copy of the uh 372 pages fanfic she's been writing which is called we will get back and uh, that, wow. that came over the weekend. It's a nicely bound volume. It's got a corgi wearing a Nats hat on the front. It is full of references to every excuse me every single book and uh, thing that we've latched onto. Um, we we start trucking through time with Ernest Klein, who falls in love with Bleriana. Um, Holy cow! Yeah. This wow! This sounds magical. It's a deep volume, yeah. It's very impressive. Um, and it came along with some amazing stickers that she's made. That she's trying to figure out a way to see if there's a way to get them, um, you know, up and available for people. But there's stickers from every single book. There's you know Henry the Hoover stickers. There is a uh, a name tag that says "Hello, my name is," and then it's Titus Uno's whole thing that ends up running off of the name tag. So. <laughs> Uh, if you're a fan of the uh, the podcast and these deep cuts, it is a uh, it is amazing. And we'll see if we can. Um, whenever she gets them up for sale, we'll 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 send a link to them. And look, the holidays are coming up. I know <laughs> they're a time of joy for a lot of people. They're also a time of you know some stress and sadness for others. Put that Henry the Hoover sticker up there, mm-hmm. and you will never be depressed again. <laughs> uh, you all you will do is smile all day long. <laughs> and I think that's healthy, don't you? Absolutely. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, we uh, we finished the prologue. We can move on to I guess the actual book now. So this is chapter one, and we're gonna uh, bail on that about to halfway through it. I think because there are some long chapters in this book. But all right, let's uh, dive into chapter one, mm. part of chapter one. <laughs> I mean, I just otherwise these things go on for over two hours, and we all agree that's too long to uh, to yammer and to listen to to be yammered at. Yeah, well, th- those, you know, listeners can break them up. Sure. We do not break them up. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it starts off with a, with a bang. It says, the eagles told them that the rider was close. Thorn didn't see. Mm. Mm, eagles, <laughs> yeah, eagles. Yeah. Where, where, my... where, where have I seen those before? <laughs> I realized as I was reading this by, that the there are eagles in the movie, right? Were there? I see this is where... <laughs> You, you, this is where the movie, even though I just watched oh my it, God. still where they, makes no impression. Uh, <laughs> did they help out in the final battle, or I? I don't know. Mm. Look, okay. Now, now I withdraw what I said. I thought there were, and I thought that's why they were in this. But <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Uh, and I'll say up front again, I the physical space of what is going on here was very elusive to me. Again, do, am I not reading closely enough, or is this sort of? It's. It seems like the plot and the physical surroundings are like breadcrumbs that we have to discover after reading a bunch and then going, "Oh, that's what he's talking about." But maybe that's just me. Maybe this is the clearest writing anyone has ever read, and I'm just thick as a brick. I think it's very tricky, and you know, I think that the, uh, you know, changing your your main character's name, which was the name of the movie, and hence all branding and recognizability after a prologue is a is a curious decision so it may speak to these guys not having the uh the uh the interest of the reader in mind as they're doing this there's lots of things that are mentioned like these eagles that are then ignored for uh you know 10 or 20 more pages until they're actually formally introduced yeah that's the kind of stuff that i'm talking about the eagles told them the rider was close but we get no dialogue from it or anything. And then, yeah, we don't get eagles. We don't again. even get the writer. The writer is off put as Willow goes and puts a bunch of stones in a pile for about 10 pages. That is, that was, I was baffled by that. <laughs> baffled. And he's observing this place where there used to be a mountain. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's going down into it and it's a bowl and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. so he's describing that. Here's the first thing that I noticed is a bit of, uh, uh, of just sort of character fleshing out that is good to know. His first and dominant impression of the scar, which is this, I guess, the area where the mountains used to be, yeah, was one of smoothness, as though a terrible god, so okay. there's a god, <laughs> had sliced the mountain from its fellows as neatly as Thorn might a fresh-baked muffin from its tin, <laughs> and then wantonly smashed it to bits. So... The fact that Thorn could easily cut a muffin from its tin, I hope that comes back. Uh, you know, if not, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. Right, and just another you know glimpse into their world. They they do eat muffins and they do use tins to make them. Um, right, right. <laughs> another thing like that, which was which was brought up, was uh, the brownies are traveling with him, and they had wanted to hide and told Thorin so, repeatedly, each more loudly and insistent than the other, volleying protests and epithets back and forth as if it was a game of tennis. So in the yeah. in the in the veil, uh Willow and the high priest are, are strapping on their whites and going and playing a playing a game of tennis on Sundays. Uh yeah, I, I wondered exactly the same thing. Are, is it uh is it like kind of lawn tennis or uh you know sort of that demure 
where they're laughing and taking sips of a mint julep between. <laughs> right. Or are they grinding it out, you know, on hard courts and uh, pickleball, you know, getting in yeah. each other's faces? <laughs> oh, pickleball, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was just a, just another thing to add to the list. Uh, so so it, it it varies with importance. We've got sharks, muffin tins, tennis, God, uh, as as these things. I will point out there's somebody out there who's going to say, yeah, well, there's uh, tennis was played in uh, you know Henry the Fifth. That's the opening, uh, that's the inciting incident in Shakespeare's Henry V. So I know that there is tennis around, so it's, yeah. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, so yeah, we, 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 we should just emphasize it for everybody that the prologue ended and now he is 100% being called Thorn for the rest of the book, evidently. Thorn Drumheller. Um, and this is, we're led, we're led to, to know that this is about 12 years after a the cataclysm which was an event that wiped out a bunch of stuff that's what made made the mouth the mountain be a muffin out of its tin but uh thorn has uh you know he's he's in in since then he has he has seen some stuff and we are we are led to to understand that in a very uh sort of cliched way um it says everything and everyone that had lived within sight of the blast was gone as though they'd never been and nothing had stepped in since to fill the void as with all the others, he said aloud, mainly to break the eerie silence, absently winding a length of braided beard around his right forefinger as he surveyed the desolation. So he's got a beard, so now you know he's really like, you know, he's been through it, man. Um, yeah, and when you read that he was, uh, you know, lazily or whatever, unthinkingly twirling the br braided beard, come on, who came to mind? Jesse Ventura? Of okay. course, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, he's got a gross uh, evil guy beard that he's, uh, um, you know, braiding like uh, Ming the Merciless or something. He's uh, He's got his uh, rubber bands in his beard, moved to South America, and uh, foment conspiracy theories look going on there. So, <laughs> yeah, so he, I was excited to see right, that. Right. Uh, it also says um, the cataclysm had left its mark on Thorn as much as on the land. He was leaner than he'd been, his body toughened by uncounted miles of wandering across the whole face of the globe. He'd let his hair grow and beard as well until all that could be seen of his face was a nose, strong cheekbones, and his eyes. So he pretty much, you know, he they might as well be going to his remote cabin where he's chopping a pile of wood and saying like, you know, you know, Willow, that's a name I haven't heard in many years, type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My name is now Thorn the White. Okay. Thorn, fine, we'll call you that, but we we need your help. Like, you know. <laughs> um, we also get a, a fifth hair update. It says, oddly, while the beard had grown in the color of dull silver, his hair had lost none of its youthful hue. If anything, it had grown more autumnal over time, making it a rich auburn, red with mahogany highlights, where before it had been the other way around. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah. So this is a, it's a little obsession, I believe, of um, got to be of Chris Claremont, because I don't recall hair ever coming up in Star Wars. And his hair... So the dominant impression was that his hair, though it was the same color, had inverted. <laughs> so the parts that were one color <laughs> must be one hell of a cataclysm. That is uh, that is slicing it thin because you know your hair moves around a lot. So he's really keeping track of each individual <laughs> strand. Yes, um, and then he he, he just to, in case you were not sure, he he lays it on super thick. They were haunted eyes that had seen too much. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh and so he sort of he he meets out the the purpose of him going to 
sliding down into this bowl mm-hmm. and stacking the rocks. Did you pick up on what the purpose of that Absolutely was? Absolutely not. What? Okay. Um, uh, which, by the way, there's also, here's another, uh, I don't want to say, you know, we maybe overuse the word Kleinian. I don't know. But he says, uh, he stood, walked away from the scar for a couple or three steps yeah. before coming to the end. <laughs> Look, it's it's up to you, man. <laughs> I... Uh, you, you're in control here. What, which was it? Why are you confused about this? And like we all understand that a couple means like a few. Like it rarely exactly means two, but it's like you know we 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 also know that two or three is a is a fine way to describe that. Yeah. Um, speaking of Kleinian, I teased this earlier. It's talking, continuing to describe the main character who we all know what he is. He's the one guy we all know who he looks like because he was the star of the movie. But it says. Uh, he donned well-worn buckskin gloves to protect his long, sensitive hands and tossed the rope <laughs> over the edge. So, uh, yeah, I think this is the fourth character that we have had uh, either long fingers or long hands in the, uh, you know, we've only read 10 books here. So that's that's a weird hit rate. Is that something that means something else is like uh, some weird meta commentary that we're not aware of that... Or is it a, a a reference to something that we're just missing? I don't know. No one has give a character long hands and you know X Y and Z follows <laughs> or something. Uh, I don't know, but it baffles, and especially since the one thing we know about Willow is that he's you know he's a he's a little person. So like you know we would assume that his hands would follow suit with that, but I guess they're long and sensitive. Here's a. I'll just read a few sentences of it. This whole paragraph though is one where I've as I read it, I was certain. That what the what the writers and creators wanted you to do was in your mind insert a little Soto like a hobbit <laughs> after every phrase, you know, just reminding yourself he bared his teeth like a hobbit. Newlands were built small, so went the tales of creation told by all the slave Newlands, because the great givers passed them by, their attention always caught by those of more significance. You know, it's kinda of like <laughs> a hobbit. The Newland purpose in the scheme of things was to provide amusement to those more blessed. But Newland spirits and Newland hearts and Newland minds bore little relations to the bodies that housed them with every hand against them in a world shaped for creatures many times their size and on and on. So <laughs> Hobbit, 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 right. Hobbit, flashing sign. <laughs> think, think, Hobbit, Hobbit. And I did like that they were they were their scheme of things was to provide amusement to those who were more blessed, which so far you're failing Newland, Hobbit, whatever you are to uh, to really amuse anybody here. Uh, yeah, if you said that about the brownies, certainly yeah. no one would believe you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he- really, you're trying to amuse me? <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, yeah, sure. If you're uh, if you're if you're irritation, that is, uh, you are doing as good a job as uh, you know, drive time morning zoo DJs. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, um, so- he climbs down and and starts stacking rocks. Uh, but this is great. He uh, he talks on and on about how hot it is. So the surface of this thing, it like turned to glass, you know, I think volcanic glass, I mm-hmm. guess, from high heat. Um, and so it was reflecting the heat at the same time as dark color absorbed it, uh, giving him a painful insight to what it must be to feel like to be on a blazing hot griddle. <laughs> he moistened his mouth, took the edge off of his growling stomach with a hunk of biscuit. His eyes were narrowed to slits. The glare beat right through his skin and set the underside of his skull to throbbing. Next time he vowed with asperity, <laughs> he'd rim. He'd remember his damn hat. 
hats. <laughs> that well-known defense against being burnt yes. alive on a griddle. Right. As you're lowering a sacrifice into a volcano, that's their one regret is that they weren't wearing you their uh, Wynum Dynam 69 trucker hat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he... He goes into a trance or something? Yeah, he's, uh, he's sort of like picking up rocks that he feels like are are significant. He almost eats one of the rocks with that hunk of biscuit, um, but he spits it out and then uh, starts piling them up into some sort of recreation of what the mountain would have looked like. Mm-hmm. Again, I've read this twice. You have read it. We're both consider ourselves to be non-idiots. Um, and, but yeah, what he's going for here was, was very hard because it didn't even have a, like a hobbit. It didn't even, it didn't even have like a, right. like a, you know, an, an analogy that you could steal from it to tell us what we're supposed to be thinking. Um, I don't know if there, he's making a cairn as they are called, yeah. just any pile of stones. Is that something that we're supposed to be thinking of some other book? So that, that's a possibility that it's just a reference to, some other bit of fantasy that I'm not seeing or would not know, but yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know. Th- this was also very puzzling because it says uh, there was a strange duality of perception akin to what he felt when his insight, camel-cased insight, merged his consciousness with the eagles to allow him to see the world through their eyes. I don't know if this is if if mage sight under, underwent the same uh, rebranding as as Willow did to become Thorn and is now insight, or if it like merged with a company called like you know, in design or something. So then it's now... Uh, Connor, not all mage site is insight, <laughs> but all insight is mage site. There's probably some component like yeah. that. But, uh, so that's, uh, yeah. that's going to be confusing. I'm not, I'm not sure if we get any more mage sites, but insight keeps popping up in this last section. Uh, here's another example of what I pointed out earlier. One foot skidded out from under him, stretching him full length, hard enough to keep him lying there a good long minute <laughs> while he recovered his wits. <laughs> I mean, this is a theme in bad books, I guess, that time is just not what it right. is. It's always changed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess a minute could be as, uh, as interpreted as a couple steps, but, uh, um, right. But I, I mean, I guess we understand that laying there, for a minute seems like a long time or whatever. But I don't know. It's just a theme that comes in in all of these books. I bet as he uh, as he as he slipped on that slippery stone, he probably was like, "Damn it! I wish I had worn my hat." <laughs> right. Uh, and then some some the heat gets to him, and then there's a very puzzling thing where his he he has some sort of a mind. I mean, it just seems like he's going psychotic or something. Yeah. He his flesh is not his own flesh, and he spits blood into the cairn. Yeah, and then the earth bubbles and boils beneath it as being eaten away by some ferocious acid. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know whether it's like a vision quest or what's going on. Or and he seems to have been traveling around to these other places where this cataclysm happened. There were like twelve seats of power. Um, so he's been, he's been to a lot of them and I guess that does, I don't know if this happens everywhere or what's going on, but, uh, again, not super clear. And the, the brownies quickly break him out of the trance by pulling on a respectful handful of his nose hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, see if, look, just to prove what we're talking about, here's an example. He turned his head, his body following, moving not as it used to through the articulation of his limbs, but seeming instead to flow. Parts of him would liquefy and recast themselves once more where he choose, chose to come to rest. And if each time he looked a little different, an arm lost here, a leg impossibly stretched and bent, a face increasingly devoid of human features, that didn't matter. His essence remained true. 
What? what yeah, hey? he's uh, yeah, he eats the uh, Guatemalan insanity pepper and starts turning into a Picasso or something. Right. Um, okay, so I didn't know what to do with that. Hopefully, that'll be explained later. <laughs> uh, but uh, the way that the book seems to be going is to present you with information, ignore it for a while, and then uh, you know ad- address it in more detail later on. Like the the eagles then come and pull him out of this pit, um, and like I guess that's sort of been what has been transporting them. Um, around this, uh, around the realm. Yes, um, and the uh, amusingly the the uh, book that I was reading, the ebook that I was reading, um, it gets in the middle of that. It just has in uppercase and bracketed. It says missing words. <laughs> <laughs> like oh man, I'm redacted. Do, do am I really going to go and discover what those words are or? Which I did. Yeah. I had to get out my paperback and turn lights on and read that. So. <laughs> it was the. Uh, it was where they edited out the uh, dodecahedron into the mere decahedron, like in Armada. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah. So then he, the Eagles drop him off, and then he starts talking to the brownies. Um, we get. To, oh, this was this was good. This so earlier they had like they 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 sparred with words as deftly as swords. Well, here it has them. Uh, <laughs> it has them. Uh, the Eagles. He says he was always more comfortable talking to the eagles. They were killers when they had to be, but they lacked the brownie's instinct for the verbal jugular. And then we get a uh, we get an example of that verbal jugular right away. It says, uh, compared to what, may I ask, came Frangine's arch repost, mocking the manners of courtiers he had seen in their journey. Tried to get your attention, Rule said in a more pragmatic tone. Called until our voices broke. But did you listen? Did you care? Then in unison, I think not. So yeah, just uh, just they're like they're you know playing the dozens. They've got yo mama jokes. It's like a, a a roast delivered by the most cutting roast master you can imagine. They're saying I think not in unison. The verbal jugular. Oh yeah, Oscar Wilde <laughs> is just applauding for, with white gloves on from his grave. Like mm, well done. Um, and it gives a uh, so so Frangine is has been turned into sort of a brownie dandy. In the years since the cataclysm, he's he's dressing like a veritable peacock, they say, um, which I was not interested because it had no description of his hair. But uh, we did get one immediately about rule. So that was nice to hear. He says there was no ornamentation to him. His hair was far longer than Frangine's, the color of rich polished cherry wood falling past his backside, swept straight from the face and gathered in a leather sleeve that was anchored at the base of the neck by a leather clip chased with drops of silver that Thorne had made him. I uh, am just baffled at this point in time, and I really hope they continue through the rest of the book because they're um, once you start looking for them, they're incredibly entertaining. What are we caring about these brownies that we <laughs> this kind of detail? He turned into a dandy? That that came as a surprise to me because what you're picturing is like the road, right? Yeah. This ruined world of guys he talks about kicking the dust. Uh, you're thinking, you know, road warrior or or something and in the meantime he's like got a lacy handkerchief and is doing snuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's a boulevardier and he's Cracking wise and walking down the yeah. street, tipping his hat to the ladies. Ivory handled like, cane, ivory handled cane, and yeah. Wh- how? Why? Yeah. In the other book, they're pretty much both wearing rags and like burlap sacks, and one wears a mouse head as his hat. Right. You, you'd think they would be going that direction more so, right? It boggles the but, mind. Uh, yeah. No, he's uh, he's become a Bo Brummel <laughs> to. Uh, 
There's a there's a reference that uh, is in a Billy Joel song. Really? Do you know? Nope. Do you know? Do you know what a Bo Brummel yeah, is? Yeah, because my mom would reference it, and I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very very old timey. Was a, a a guy who wore you know big lacy you know essentially wore the Jerry Seinfeld pirate <laughs> shirts times times a hundred and was out of fashion until everyone went yeah I'd like to look like a Bo Brummel. Uh, but we were in a uh, we were doing bar trivia and we're not playing it and someone across from us that came up it's like you could really be a blank said Billy Joel if you just give it half a chance and the entire bar went what <laughs> I've never known what that meant and all of us all four old people went uh, we whispered over to the people next to us Bo Brummel they're like what what does that mean I was like don't get angry that's just what it is but I understood their anger like if you don't know what that means it's a weird word and, yeah. and everything but yeah. yeah an actual guy named Bo Brummel he was a I think they used to call dandies dudes as well like there was like the gathering mm-hmm. of the dudes was the uh, was that thing so I guess Frangine is just a, your classic dude the dude abides. <laughs> um, and then uh, what else? Oh, yeah, we get uh, we get so there. They talked about him at the beginning of the book, but there's a, a fellow traveler, a daikini who's been following them, um, I guess. And that's what the, uh, the he's far enough away that they're still like wondering who he is and he hasn't caught him yet. But I guess uh, Thorne uses his insight to look at him. He reveals a wandering Zephyr, a ghost of a breeze so faint it barely tickled the distant grass um to observe him so he i think he looks at him and, and gains this or maybe the brownies have snooped through his pack as well yeah they're they're excellent thieves <laughs> is what uh we get a description there um uh oh by the way just going back to it i forgot um rule mm-hmm. he's got uh he's got like tribal tax oh yeah too. that was interesting too <laughs> <laughs> Which that was funny because you know now the association with those is like a, a bouncer or you know a, a frat bro or something. Um, it's yeah. fun, to, fun to imagine what they meant in 1995. Uh, his two swords swords were carved from the fangs of a death dog. In among the tribal tattoos that decorated his face and torso <laughs> were a set of scars left by the battle. Yeah, it's like Mike Tyson. So, so we have a dandy. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Right. Anyway, that amused me. I guess me. it's just in the book, they were fairly indistinguishable. I mean, the movie, they were fairly indistinguishable except for the mouse head. And uh, this is just a way for you to for you to tell them apart now. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, did you – I wasn't making the distinction in my mind. Like, as I'm reading it, like, is this Kevin Pollock or the other no. guy? I didn't – I don't no. care. <laughs> this uh, – but speaking of the devil dogs with the teeth, this was my – this was, I think, my favorite part of the – of this section we read, and it unfortunately came with like two pages left. Um, so the guy who's been following them has a wounded horse. Um, and this is, I think this is pretty verbatim. Um, she'd taken a nasty wound from which she'd never truly recovered. A glance told Thorne all he needed to know. Death dogs. They carried no poison. Keep that in mind. They carried no poison, but their bites were ferociously septic if they drew your blood. You were sure to sicken from it. All too often, that infection killed. He could smell their poison within her, even though she'd fought it to the point where it now lay dormant. Like, as an author, you're able to make decisions. And so the decision is either that these dogs are poisonous or not. And he has somehow decided to to have them not be poison, but they poison you if they bite you and kill you. Uh, yeah, I when I read that, I was like, well, maybe the... Uh, you know, maybe the zoologists are the the 
the jury's still out on it. Like the <laughs> the Komodo dragons. Uh, is that right? Is that the biggest, the big yeah, giant uh-huh. lizards? They for a while they're like, no, they don't have any poison. They just have infection in their mouth. And now I think it's a very recent discovery. Like, no, it is a toxin in their saliva. So I don't know. Maybe it's just like he's hedging his bets because he doesn't want to be. You know, wrong. Like the, he doesn't end up on the wrong side of history about devil dog bites, <laughs> right? But it, death dog. Sorry, not devil right. dog. That is a snack. <laughs> um, uh, then he, they go on to say, uh, one of them is the brownies is saying to fight a pack of death dogs and not expect them to follow. Too stupid to live, if you ask me. A dismissal, a dismissal emphasized by the flick of delicately laced cuffs. So, oh, it must have been Frangine. A dismissal emphasized by the flick of delicately laced cuffs from soft. Silk soft doe skin sleeves. Death dogs, you say? Obvious from the cut of the wounds, Rule said quietly. If not the stench of their poison. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's uh I don't know. It's 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 the caliber of uh you know a, a James Wynn movie just to 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 assert something and then immediately contradict it. Yeah, we just did uh we were rehearsing a movie today where a a, a large uh, evil character dies and then he just appears in a different scene a couple scenes later <laughs> he's just alive sure. again so yeah same and deal it was not that's the uh that's a pioneered in space mutiny that happening oh right yeah he walks right past the the dead girl that's like a big plot point too that's not a background character right. yeah. um but it, something else i forgot to do this initially and it, it it's all on me because it was my first uh, firm, firm settle down of the book. It was like four pages in, and I don't think it comes across in the ebook. But you have the paperback too. You can look at it. But people who are either listening to at home, or one guy even bought the audio cassettes and is listening to them on a tape player. Um, every time that someone asks a question in this book, um, the author, the the printing thing has its own question mark rune. It's like an upside down question mark that's backwards, and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I said that the the courtesan's costume change was the first time I realized we're in for it. But the uh, the the unique question mark punctuation was where I I really knew that we were doomed. Oh wow! I I did not even notice that reading from the yeah. ebook. I didn't. That that is. It looks oof. it looks sort of like uh, rules one of his tribal tattoos actually. Oh sure, yeah. Huh. That I don't know if that's allowed. No, it's bad know. news. It's bad. It's like. Uh, when you first start reading Game of Thrones and everyone is called, you know, Sir Loras, but Sir is pronounced is written S E R, but it means Sir a knight. Oh, yeah, I thought maybe he would use the Sirah nope. spelling. Well, yeah. Plenty know. of those do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So we quickly get to the fact that this is another surprising bit. When again, I'm thinking road. I'm thinking after the apocalypse, wandering through ruins. Mm-hmm. Lonely, his face gritted, sand thick on his, uh, you know, thick on his face and in his beard. Uh, he's uh, he's always writing in a notebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> making meticulous notes and keeping a diary. Uh, and and this is in sharp contrast to, I'm reading now, to Thorne himself, who was always scribbling in dog ear notebook. He taught the brownies during their travels. This is to write, I assume only to realize too late that he'd provided them with another means of expression, which they enthusiastically put to a use that was as eloquent as it was outrageous. They had as little respect for property as for a person, and many were the walls <laughs> and reputations that had suffered for it. 
So they're drawing dongs everywhere yeah. and saying, you like, Jimmy sucks this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Here I sit brokenhearted on a bathroom stall. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. unbelievable. <laughs> uh, that And that's just uh, tossed aside. Like, he taught them a brand new language. Right. I mean... A, a new means yeah, of this... verbal japery and, and cutting, uh, you know, insults like they have uh, going for the jugular. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure they are every bit as as potent and and sharp as those that uh, are verbal too. <laughs> well, I just like that that it says that Willow was all or Thorn was always scribbling in a dog-eared notebook. So he's like one of the uh, you know one of the comedians you see at like before the open mic, who's very conspicuously sitting at the bar, um, you know, sort of looking around to see who's seeing that he's writing um, in his yes. joke in, in his, <laughs> his his moleskin of of, of jokes. Uh, so, so that's right. Willow. Every, every everywhere he travels. Do uh, when you go to clubs, do people still set down the little recorders uh, in the back for their sets? Uh, a lot of places have the the camera running, but people people just come out, put their phone down with the time. I'm not sure if they're recording. Yeah, them. yeah. We uh, one time a guy came in. I think I I had to have been uh, with Frank Connor for those who will know who that is. And uh, a guy got up. He'd been trying. He was pretty new. And, you know, comedians back then, we weren't supportive of anyone else. We were we were wretched, you know. So we just rip him a new one. And he walks off the stage, walks all the way into the back where we were and picks the recorder up, which was right next to oh. us. <laughs> and had never seen it placed oh, God. There. Oh, so you were like heckling him in real time to each oh, other. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so he was hearing himself, but he was hearing... Us just over the top of it, just absolutely shredding him. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, it's just you watch him walk away and go, well, he's going to have an interesting <laughs> night. I have not made a new yeah, friend. Wow. Oh, man. That was, that was painful. Um, well, yeah, they give, uh, they give some more details about, um, that I was unable to parse. Um, I think, uh, one of them was saying, that like he's explaining who the rider might be. It says Drumheller, this land has daikini like our own. They ride horses, they herd livestock, they farm crops. Some of them they call Vale folk by different names, but Cherlindria's Cherlindria has scattered her groves across this part of the world, same as she did across our own, with so much else in common between us. Why not death dogs? So I don't I think this is the first mention of Cherlindria. I don't know what's going on. She has groves. Um, I guess she has her own army of death dogs because Bav Morta had death dogs too. Um, I don't know if the people who have death dogs are sort of doing a, are we the baddies type of thing where they're like death dogs? I mean, <laughs> like they're pit bull owners who are like, you know, it's not the dogs that are evil. It's the owners. Yeah. If you don't, you know, if you leave him alone, I mean, he'll leave you alone. <laughs> uh, yeah. The veil folk. Okay. So they made the, they bred a race of war hounds. Which eventually became the Death Dogs. <laughs> that seems like a lateral move, really. Warhounds versus yeah. the, you know, it's like. So what are the war, what do the Warhounds do? Oh, killing people. <laughs> yeah, they they hunt people down um, and they tear them apart limb from limb. They uh, they they rip their jugglers. So they're out. Death Dogs. What? Why, where are you getting this? Did you hear that what was I said? Offensive. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it does make it much more likely to confuse for the. Uh, is that Drake? Devil dogs or Sarah Lee or not Tasty Cake. They're like a poor man's uh, <laughs> right. ho-ho, right? Uh, yes. I think they're, are they a East Coast ho-ho? Yeah, they might be a Drake one. Um. Bridget says, uh, 
that when she was in like junior high, a, a girl came for, she grew up in, you know, a relatively, a medium sized town in Minnesota. A girl came from the East Coast and uh, she, they all thought she was like, she has to be in a gang or something. <laughs> she so, she talked so tough. And then she went to the, to, to a store and ordered, she said, I want a cherry soda and a devil dog. <laughs> They're all like, oh, my God, we're meeting a character out of Greece. This is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking it up. They have, uh, they are by Drake's. They do have mint cream devil dogs, and they have fudge-dipped devil dogs. So I, uh, I invite people to keep track of how many times I accidentally call them devil dogs because that's going to happen. <laughs> right, right. I will mix them up with moon pies, my dad's favorite, uh, my favorite snack that no one has ever seen. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, uh, they, they reveal that the traveler is sworn to the king and Angwin and, uh, and that was where we left things. We sort of dropped off mid sentence cause otherwise it would have been like 40,000 words to read for this one episode. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, yeah. So we're just, we're stopping in the middle, which really, I mean, as this goes along, it does not matter. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I didn't look up where this chapter ends, but, uh, you know, I think that it was a, a decent amount to discuss this time. And, uh, hopefully we get more uh, clues about where this is going. I am scrolling down right now and this chapter does not end for, <laughs> wow. Oh, the amount of scrolling, man. I wish I could, you know, if you could see my screen right now, Whew. Wow. yeah, it's going to be a long All read. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, so far it's uh, it's not good, but it's not uh, you know, it's it's not that uh, immediate. The badness doesn't quickly manifest itself in the way that some of the other ones do. It's more of a confusing run-on uh, type of bad. Yeah, that's the thing that is disappointing. Is uh, when do we? I guess there was some clarity to maybe it's just the the uh, Bram confusion that is still in my mind, and I can't shake right. it. Uh, I don't recall trucking through time being all that confusing, <laughs> uh, although also physical spaces were not described well. So I don't sure, know, but, maybe. I, but, th- but that seems to be a theme as you often are, are saying to yourself, where are we? Who is this? What is happening? And that's, I, I guess that is a, a hallmark of, of bad writing. Sure. Yeah, I guess so. But trucking through time, you know, for what it, it had three places. And, you know, if trucking through time had been being like, here's a planet and there's 12 realms. And so now the cataclysm is rent. This one is like that would have been much more difficult as as it was. It was like, sure. All right. There's the base. There's the Indian village and et cetera. Like it's like we all we all know what those mean in this context. It's just a Western. So it was the uh, the Gilligan's Island of, you know, they were either at the lagoon. They were in the (laughs) camp or yes. Uh, what, what was the, uh, I fear, I don't want details to slip away. So just remind yeah. me, what was his, was it Miss Marie? Oh yes. Miss Marie was the, uh, the beloved, uh, of Chad or Dale. <laughs> he was terrified of her at first of what she was going to do yeah. to him. Right. Uh-huh. But she was really going to give him the business. Okay. Miss Marie. Then it turned out right. he had a, she, they had a son together and he, uh, he was the one that fell in love with the reincarnated version of dancing leaf. I think. Right, right. It's just, to me, it's kind of like, you know, it's a vacation where occasionally you have to go, what was that town we went to <laughs> yes. that second day when it was super sunny and we went to that little place with the sandwiches? Right. We, yeah, I just want to keep remembering yes, exactly. They're, they, 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 they are my Henry Hoover in terms of how they, they bring a <laughs> smile to my face. <laughs> right. Um, well, I think we have enough time to do some uh, emails. We go to the party. We go to the game. 
All right, first one is from Theodore. When we sort of touched on this, I mean, I touched on it briefly, but he, he, he made a bear in the beginning, then he gave it to the princess, and we'll see if that has any bearing on later in the book. It might because the bear appeared to be magic, but uh, Theodore wrote in, said, he gave us a little dialogue. Book, here's a description of Willow's workshop where he builds things and does magic. Me. All right, we're getting a look at what Willow's abilities are, some insight into how magic works in this setting. This should be interesting. Book. Willow stared at a teddy bear for hours and then went to bed. Me. I guess I'll go back to playing Pokemon Shield. I mean, that's it's shortchanging what happens in the bed, but uh, it is pretty accurate. It was as though Sir Nathaniel had his way with that scene. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, uh, we got an email from John, uh, and he speculates about uh, why the name change might have occurred. Uh, for the duration of this completely original book, and because Control-F, Find and Replace has not been invented yet, you shall be known as Thorn Drumheller, a name I just came up with and was definitely not sitting on my shelf when George Lucas came knocking. Huzzah! And he says, come on, this is definitely Claremont shoehorning his already written fantasy story into the Willowverse, right? So, Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought too, but because you could replace it so easily, that seems... I- I'm just hoping for a more interesting and dumber answer than that (laughs) right yeah i mean uh otherwise it is very puzzling because like you know if you look at the cover it says an all-new saga based on the movie willow but it's not you know you wouldn't make a star wars book without saying like star wars the battle for the planet where people are horses you know that it wouldn't be one of those type of things like star wars would be the selling point and this is shadow moon not like shadow moon a willow uh... story type of thing uh, the Death Star shall now be known as the Devil Star. Uh, well, they, from here that was on sort out. of what they did in the uh, the most recent movie. They were just like, now it's called the first. The Empire is the First Order, and the Death Star is called the uh, something else. It was just bigger. <laughs> you know, right. I, uh, third email is from uh, Kelly, a Patreon supporter. Uh, she says, speaking of Star Wars. While I couldn't pull together any fan fiction, I do like the fan theory that Willow is set on the forest moon of Endor from Return of the Jedi. I did not look into this theory, but I guess this is a fan theory. Uh, Someone connected it to one of the Ewok movies, Battle for Endor. Some fans think the two sorceresses in both films are familiar. I'd have to say that this is more in- the most interesting thing in the book. Maybe the craters that Willow, a.k.a. Thorn, is investigating were created by the exploding Death Star? Upside down question mark? <laughs> They certainly are enough Star Wars similarities in this novel. So uh, I guess that's something we'll have to look into, or maybe people can uh, write their own theories about it. But uh, Willow is set on you, Endor. So. You will not be relying on me for these <laughs> making these connections. <laughs> Someone else will have to do it. Um, so a, uh, a dumb theory, but uh, not as dumb as some of the dumb sentences we're going to encounter. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends All right, we got a bunch a of these this time, and there was no real runaway winner. So uh, we'll see what people had to say. Mike, uh, not you, submitted, Damn, but you're a thorny bugger sometimes, Willow. He was... Uh, he was impressed about the alternate usage of the word bugger to uh, to the insult. But um, <laughs> uh, Chris submitted, there was a keening in the air, a mournful dissonance that might be wind, but he knew better because he felt it from the stone in his hand. And he says, Ernest Klein once again steps in, this time to tell us that while it might have been the wind, it was, in fact, not. <laughs> so maybe the stone was just uh, pulling in like a dragon. Um, 
Right. Uh, John submits, when he was tired, he simply stopped and sat. Good to know. Andrew submits, though the pig then wasn't acting nearly so pig-headed. He says, it's a very valid pun, but low-hanging fruit. So low that a pig could get it. Uh, Janelle submitted, windows for light by day, candle sconces for night. She said, using things how they are used. Fantasy. <laughs> Just hey, that fa- that uh, fantastical element of the muffin tin—you got to give him, got to give. So him yeah, that. in this fantasy world, there is a guy or or industrial building where they are they are stamping out muffin tins. That's someone's job. Like, yeah, well, I mean, you know, they could be uh, what do they call it? Sand molded uh, cast iron. <laughs> Um, so I don't that, know. That would be yeah. Know. That would be that would be even better if he showed up. Hey, where's the blacksmith? No, 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 no. We have a uh, we have a professional sand mold and cast iron station in this uh, <laughs> traveler. You must be weary. Come see it. Um, another Mike submitted. Uh, compared to what? May I ask? Came Frangine's arch repost, mocking the manners of courti- court- courtiers, court court courtiers, courtiers he'd guess, seen in their journey. Uh, he says there's a tendency to use 50-cent words when nickels or none at all will do. Um, Carrie submitted an appropriate profanity made it as far as thought, though not to execution, before being derailed by the clash of steel from beyond the nearest corner tower and a level below. So that's a A-plus example of that, you know, painting a visual scene we've talked about. That was uh, one of my contenders, <laughs> but uh, luckily I yeah. have more. Uh, Amanda submitted... Uh, the well, it was the end of the uh, the end of the uh, prologue, which was the uh, the quiet broken by an interminate interminate bird song. The whole of the dawn is prosaic as normal as could be. He'd learned that while he slept, dot 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 dot, the world he'd known it has come to an end. Jane, <laughs> double yeah, ellipses. double ellipses was a nice touch. It's like his own uh, question mark. Jamie submitted. He tried to stand, but instead flailed uselessly with arms and legs as though he'd forgotten how to use them. He says, I don't know about you, but when I try to stand after f- falling, I take the time to flop around on the ground like a child throwing a tantrum in the Walmart toy department. <laughs> uh, Lucas, uh, not George, but appropriately named, the swords stayed where they were. This is when I think Sorsha had them at Mad Mardigan's neck. This is such hilariously unnecessary information, I can't help but imagine every... Imagine writing everything like this. The candle stayed where it was. Willow continued standing up. Mad Mardigan's height did not change. Nobody dropped dead. Although this last sentence might be in bad taste. Br- I would uh, I would read that book. <laughs> it's sort of what hop on pop is, you know? It's just like, this is yeah, happening. Right. Pop is hot. Uh, Brian, a Patreon supporter. People sometimes put that in or they send it on Patreon. I know that. Other people I know are. But if you are one, let us know so we can call attention to it. Uh, Do you see what I'm supposed to see in her? Mad Mardigan asked Willow with an exaggerated roll of the eyes. The uh, rep- repetition of C and the dumb attempt at humor made, my, uh, me, made me roll my eyes exaggeratedly as well. Um, Melissa submitted, but Nelwyn spirits and Nelwyn hearts and Nelwyn minds bore little relation to the bodies that housed them. (laughs) Uh, Christine said it still brought him joy, but contentment was a word with an edge that, while it had yet to draw blood, still pressed him deeply enough to make itself felt. She says, what? What is the edge? I'm not sure that Claremont or Lucas even know. 
Uh, Marie submitted the animal's shod hooves struck in a leaden cadence. Her every step bespeaking a fatigue sunk deep into her bones. So that is, yeah, very dumb. And Rob, this is the last one. Careless, said Bastion, one of the eagles, not bothering to hide his disdain as he muscled his limp burden skyward. Mm. <laughs> uh, the disdain reminded me of, uh, it, it was the third time that the word got used this section. I forgot to read it. was a, uh, it's a night of celebration, woman, Mad Mardigan insisted in asperity. <laughs> <laughs> asperity again. Uh, what did you have? Uh, well, you know, from that, there's probably not as much fireworks in these, but, and this might even qualify as a settle down. So you decide, you be the judge. Each location was a place of power, a crossroads where the ley lines of energy of the physical world intersected with their counterparts in the realms beyond the domains of fairy home to the veil folk. (laughs) Shut up. What did I just read? Yep. You got this fantasy magic poetry, magnetic poetry set and just, uh. Reached in and pulled out a handful. Yeah, so that's the kind of crap where I'm like, where are we? What's happening? Mm. And then you get a sentence like that. You go, all right, that is not helping. <laughs> Ley lines of energy of the physical world intersecting with counterparts in realms beyond, right. domains of fairy. Go to hell. <laughs> right, because the dragon's main revelation was that their planet is round. There was, I mean, in theory, you would have the dragon be like, oh, yeah, there's tons of other lay realms uh, with power and fairy folk. And that would be the revelation. But no, we just sort of get that t- tossed off in one sentence. My right. sentence. What is, it, yeah. Is, uh, well, I, it was it was pretty much because this is all one sentence I'm about to read, but it was pretty early on. OK. There was a peaceful stillness to water and air that allowed him the full use of his senses, as though every sight and sound and sense stood as an individual in stark and absolute contrast to its background, rather than being mixed together in a cacophonous blend, as was normally the case. Mad Mardigan muttered with asperity. <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah, I don't know. That was just uh, that was that was like on the third page of the book, and I was just like, I I'm still reading this one sentence. Wow. Yeah, that is that is terrible. <laughs> um, oh, I have. Oh man, I had one. I can't think. Uh, I'll try to find it here. Oh, here we go. Uh, find what you were looking for. Did you? Asked. I think this was read before, but it reminded me of you know said the robot pimp disdainfully. <laughs> Asked Frangine with a practiced air of malicious glee. <laughs> um, he just, he tacks on those things thinking that he's, you know, fancying things right. up like, uh, like his verbal you know, jugular. Yeah. But uh, it just makes, I'm just reading more and getting more irritated. Like, just have the dialogue there right. with a practiced air of malicious I'll glee. I'll decide whether it was malicious, gleeful, or practiced. Thank you very much. Right, right. Well, wow. Yeah. All How right. Um, well, yeah, a lot to a lot to parse, and we'll have uh, hopefully a lot more next time. I think we should read up until uh, it's the same amount of pages to get to uh, the end of chapter two, so we could uh, we can do that for next time. Read uh, through chapter two. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I was thinking earlier, by the way, and I just want to tack this on. When you think of you know people having like Willow be their favorite movie or something, uh, when we were searching about for movies to do as a Rift Tracks live thing, it was just tossed in there it wasn't a serious consideration but uh arachnophobia <laughs> came up and it's like one of those are like who is going to care <laughs> or remember that we you know if somebody goes like oh arachnophobia that's my favorite right. movie you'd go like what the hell <laughs> right seriously yeah of the same era probably same middling box office but 
Yeah, you just never know when it hits that sweet spot for someone where it's like the the movie they have at home and they've watched it a dozen times. Yeah, it's like every every bar, no matter how surprising to you, has a regular. Right. You know, every every movie's got a guy who's like, that is my favorite. Really, movie. Yeah, really, the, the the islands in this strip mall has a guy who comes in here after work every day. Like, <laughs> right? Oh, Harry's here. Yep, every day, six hours on that stool in the corner. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, if, if Willow was your favorite movie, let us know. If you, uh, I don't know, if you, if the Death Dogs scared you, let us know. Like, I guess we could talk about the movie a bit more if people have theories about it or uh, just have funny stories about it. But, uh, um, you know, we, we understand where you're coming from if it was something from your childhood, but take another look at it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be clear. I've only seen this, I saw it twice as an adult. I mean, uh, so in the second time, with a fairly jaundiced eye of, oh, damn it. Uh, I was going to have a drink, but instead I have to watch Willow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, put that into the, if it was your favorite movie as a kid, obviously, I, you know, that's right. fine. You know, that's, it qualifies, that's a pretty good thing to have it. I'm just saying, you know, me being who I am, having to watch Willow right. to just it's, take who, that into whoever's consideration. Whoever's running that Tumblr we discussed in the last one has a lot more to answer for. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, that Thank was fun. You. Yes. Um, should we uh, should we go out with a little bit of the uh, what was the music the the dulcimer hammer thing? Oh yeah, I'll find some uh, Tim Tim Timopan. <laughs> uh, it keeps reminding me of that uh, that drug in Arrested Development that they were pimping. You remember no. that Timo Timosil? <laughs> I think it was. This is like Tim Timopan. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I'll find some Timopan and let's go out. Otherwise, uh, thank you thank everyone. You. Thank you Patreon people. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of 372 Pages. We'll never get back. Bye.